Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo in Seattle, just right next door, and Rachel Sapin, reporter, also just right next door. Hello, you two. Uh, let's dive right in. We have decided this is going to be our Alaska Pollock edition or shall I say wild Alaska Pollock edition. There's been a lot that's happened over the past uh, few months, so I guess you could say over the past couple of years, um, with Alaska Pollock, its reputation, uh, and how it's being marketed. So we wanted to talk a little bit about that. Also, the quota was just decided for the 2020 season, so we'll chat about that a bit as well, and, uh, and a range of other things, but all wild Alaska Pollock all the time. John, I'm going to kick it over to you. Um, you wrote a column, uh, it's been maybe a year ago now, where you were talking about the the uh, the genuine Alaska Pollock producers' strategy on rebranding, renaming Alaska Pollock with the term wild Alaska Pollock. Now, at that time, you were, uh, you were saying that repetition... Uh, may or may not be successful, but you were um, you were remarking that it was it was clear it was a concerted effort. What do you think now, uh, with the uh, benefit of time, how the effort has gone? Yeah, I uh, wrote a column about that I think earlier this year, actually in March, and um, I think their plan is taking shape. To be honest with you, um, it's it's very well thought out and very um, uh, disciplined in the way they're approaching it. And you're starting to see the um, investment that is being made in uh, marketing a variety of Pollock products across the companies. Uh, Gap is leading this funding charge um, to, you know, fund all sorts of retail promotions, food service promotions. And I got to tell you, um, just on a personal note, I, I've never bought frozen fillets of Pollock in my life, but in the last month, there's been uh, that Kroger sells a bag of them for like a two-pound bag for like six ninety-nine or seven ninety-nine uh, for the bag. So I've gone through two or three of those in the last couple months. So <laughs> I don't know if it's just because I work here or it, I remember just seeing it in the store go, well, you know, that's a pretty good, pretty good deal. And, you know, it's just white fish, so it'll work in anything. So, yeah, so I think they're, uh, I think they're, uh, I think their plan is unfolding. It'll be interesting to see in Lent this year, how many of the um, restaurant chains that promote, Pollock type items at that time of year. How many of them will again pick up that wild Alaska Pollock uh, name in their promotions? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see how they have uh, put effort into uh, new product development, uh, how they've put effort into marketing. And Rachel, you've been covering Pollock really closely. Uh, Craig Morris, who's now the CEO of uh, the Genuine Alaska Pollock Producers, Gap, he's brought a lot of changes. I think a lot of people are on board with it in the Pollock sector. Not everybody's on board. This is a new, uh, a new generation, I guess you could say, or a new iteration of Gap from what it was before. Um, what's your take on it, and what's your take on how they've uh, how how it's um, how they've performed? 
Well, you know, I've written really more about Pollock in the past, like, six months than for the nearly two years I've been here. So, Wild Alaska Pollock, what's going on with it? Craig has really opened the door to much more transparency in terms of the big companies. You know, we've learned through GAP's meeting earlier this year, they unveiled that they were working with Oberon St. Clair, who's the kale queen. If you don't know her, she apparently was the pioneer of making kale very popular um, in the early 2010s, could be mid 2010s. Um, I'm not sure, but she was a big highlight um, of the event that was held in Seattle earlier this year. We learned that for the first time, American Seafoods actually has some Pollock available in the fresh case at Walmart, which has been a big deal. Trident's landed contracts with Whole Foods um, to just promote Pollock under the Trident brand as Pollock. So there's a lot of big moves, a lot of big players in Pollock right now. Um, there's a pretty exciting story behind it as, you know, the most sustainable fishery, the perfect protein. Yeah, so they've definitely caught my ear this year, and I'm very interested to see what they are going to do heading into next year. Yeah, I thought what was really interesting about that particular meeting, um, number one is the transparency, the willingness to talk about what they what they do, which I, I think has been long overdue. I think it's it's important to remember, I mean, this is the largest food fishery in the world. Um, so it has such a, a tremendous impact on the global supply of whitefish in particular, and just the global seafood trade. Now that said, um, the Pollock industry here, uh, based out of Seattle, has a very interesting history. Um, it used to be a, a fishery that, um, that had all kinds of countries operating in the waters. Um, it was built by uh, kind of swashbuckling pioneers, people like Shelling Garuka, like Chuck Bundrant, um, Eric Breivik. I mean, these were people that uh, were really fishermen that really grew up, uh, you know, uh, or kind of cut their teeth uh, on the decks of vessels. And so fishermen are production focused. Fishermen are not uh, typically uh, that interested in what happens once they unload their product at the dock. And I would say that's kind of dictated a lot of what we've seen in the in the Pollock industry for, for all these years has been the buyers, be they Japanese surimi buyers, or be they uh, uh, pinbone-out uh, Pollock block users in, uh, in the United Kingdom or, or Germany, where they uh, turn it into fish fingers and um, what's called Schlemmer fillets uh, and, and other products like that. They've dictated the market. They've dictated the price for Pollock. And, and really, um, the industry has sort of set it and forget it and, and just kind of said, okay, look, this is, uh, these are our customers. This is our product. Uh, you're at the whims of the market. Um, that's changed, I think, dramatically, but actually quite recently. You have to give credit to Trident uh, because I think uh, Trident has led the way on this new product development with their noodles with um, some of the, the other uh, portions that they've been coming up with. Um, now, Trident has the money. Um, that's part of the advantage Trident has over some of the other producers. But I do think that, um, you know, while, while these are very, very, uh, very uh, s strong competitors with one another, um, what, what you have seen is that I think there's some acceptance that 
um, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And people are seeing, okay, this is a, a domestic market opening up. There's Asian markets opening up. Um, so I, I think that finally uh, the industry is looking beyond, um, beyond the dock. Uh, and you really saw it at that gap meeting. And, um, you know, it was, it was more a classic, um, from my viewpoint, it was more of a, of, a, of a type of meeting you would see from the Norwegian Seafood Council. Um, now, you would have seen that type of meeting, and I've seen that type of meeting 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Um, but, but, you know, let's, let's start with where we are with Pollock. But I, I felt like that was um, a bit of a turning point in the sense that you had uh, all the industry there, and you had people sharing knowledge. Um, great, interesting research from Nasui shared about um, about the um, uh, muscle protein that can be built uh, post workout eating Pollock. Um, like you said, uh, there was the uh, the kale lady there to talk. There was people presenting on uh, millennial consumption habits. It, it was really, I think. Um, it was so downstream focused, um, and it was uh, it was something I think the industry really really needed to to hear. And and in the side conversations, I felt like for the most part, people were uh, were really excited about it. Yeah, I think like that. It was just really unique to see all of these big players in Pollock that I don't want to name any names, but it just it's been hard to you know kind of pinpoint where it's being sold it's not like a salmon product which really presents itself and you know likes to show off how beautiful it is pollock is still i think it's still coming out of the shadows of looking at itself just kind of historically as a filler fish americans don't know what it is we don't know it's in our fish sticks we don't know it's surimi you know so i think like in in the industry's defense you know they've kind of been selling particularly to American consumers in a very secretive way. Um, and they're still very competitive with one another uh, for these big contracts with Costco and Whole Foods. But just as just as consumers really want more transparency with their products, they want the story, they want to know what boat the fish was landed on, what the company's policies are, these, pre- these companies are learning they have to come out of the shadows and, uh, you know, introduce themselves to us. So, you know, I think it's a little challenging if um, they're just starting to do that now, but I think they're making good ground. And I do think that Craig has a tough job ahead of him still, um, because like you said, not everyone has the resources Trident has, you know, to kind of weather a change in how products are marketed and what you talk about. And a lot of the smaller Pollock producers, I think, are a little fearful of talking to reporters, whether they're trade reporters like myself or consumer reporters. Yeah, and I think that goes back to, um, you know, the, the, the early thinking of, okay, we've got to keep our heads down because we've got, uh, you know, we've got Greenpeace, we've got other NGOs that are going to attack us on whether it's harvesting in the canyons or whether it's uh, bycatch or whatever it might be, so I think that um, I think that what what's been realized or, or what people have been convinced of is you've got a really good sustainability story. Um, I think that the Alaska Pollock sector, John, you know uh, as well as I do, uh, the Marine Stewardship Council process for Alaska Pollock was very contentious. Um, 
Uh, you don't you don't hear much about it. I think there's a uh, acceptance that the MSC is part of the um, part of the uh, uh, the game that has to be played for transparency and sustainability. But I what I what I think the industry has sort of um, missed in their focus on operations has been what a great sustainability story it has um, in terms of environmental footprint. When you have these large vessels and you're catching high volumes, that's a good thing. Um, that's actually a good thing for the environment. Sustainability-wise, it is probably one of the best managed stocks in the world. Um, if you track it the way we do, uh, you'll see that the science behind it and the the U.S. Council system for setting these total allowable catches is very rigorous and very complicated, and there are just incredibly smart people that uh, that make these decisions. And you know the fact that industry and science uh, and NGOs come to the table to make these decisions each year is very unique and and uh, and really something that I think the industry hasn't thought to celebrate or hasn't thought to highlight. Um, but it's a good story, and I think they're I think they're getting there and getting a little more, as you said, uh, Rachel, getting a little more confident that huh, okay, you know what, I think we can talk about this. I think we can talk about what we do. I think we can be transparent about what we do. And that's actually going to be, um, it's going to be a help, not a hindrance. Yeah, you know, and GAP, uh, GAP is planning um, to do a comprehensive life cycle assessment for Alaska Pollock, which basically, you know, looks at, at the fish through a sustainability um, prism, so to speak. And, um when that comes out, I'm sure it's going to be a pretty good story. So uh, clearly, Drew, they they uh, they agree that the sustainability portion of the fishery is quite important to consumers and marketing going forward. And I just wanted to follow up one quick sec on on the part you just mentioned about the scientists and the rigor that uh, is involved in setting the pollock quota every year. Um, if you've never listened to the meeting that goes on um, this time of year, it was last week when they set the Pollock quota, um, you should listen in and hear the level of detail the scientists um, go through to, you know, not just set the quota, but understand what's going on with the ecosystem in which the fish um, live. And, you know, the ecosystem includes birds and other uh, mammals and stuff that, you know, rely on pollock or some of the feed that pollock uh, relies on. So it's really, it's really interesting and complicated, but knock on wood, they've done a pretty good job for uh, quite a while. How far do you think they can take Pollock? I mean, it remains a uh, it remains a, a ground fish. You, you, you're not going to get big, huge, fat, nice fillets out of a uh, out of a Pollock. Um, how far do you think they can ca- take it in terms of um, getting it toward the the center of the plate? Well, let's let's think about tilapia. Um, years and years ago, tilapia was in the shadow, so to speak. It was not a fish on. Uh, Americans menus anyways and uh, and they kind of followed the same approach that it was um, a mild white fish uh, super healthy yada 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 and uh, before long it, I think it reached number four on the 
uh, U.S. consumption list for quite a while or up in that range. It's fallen back, and you know that's a whole other story about some negative media and all that. But um, that is kind of uh, an example. Not kind of. That is an example of how something like this could go. Um, the beautiful thing about Pollock, and it was the same thing with tilapia early on, is it's affordable. And that, you know, when you look at consumer um, data on what drives their purchases in seafood, price is always at the top, you know. So um, I I feel that it has a has a quite a road in front of it to um, to succeed. It's just an interesting concept to to think where Pollock could go. I guess I I want to think it can really propel into being a mainstay for Americans, and I, I think it really has a lot of um, attraction for uh, millennials and Gen Z just with its sustainability story. Um, that's such a huge selling point for young people who, you know, are devoted to brands like Patagonia and people that they think are, and they're following people like, um, you know, Greta, who is talking about, you know, how she's not going to fly anywhere and she sails around the world and she's like a little, a teenager, you know? So we have like all these really amazing young people that really do seem like they actively want to change what's going on with our food systems. I don't know, though, if I see a lot of younger people actually eating Pollock or knowing what it is, though. And it's I wish I could say I knew what would change that for the industry. Um, You know, hopefully a Vogue article is probably a good start. Um, Trident was and Pollock were recently featured in Vogue, which was a big win. I know everyone at the Gap holiday party we were at where we're talking about that and, and how that's a big win for Pollock. Um, I think it's just tough to know what's going to stick. We have such a media rich landscape right now. You know, everyone gets their information from everywhere. So it's really hard to know what's going to stick and what's actually going to influence people, particularly younger people um, to change their eating habits, um, particularly when it comes to seafood, because they really seem to be gravitating right now to plant-based over seafood. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to see if they're going to continue to have this, uh, this uh, momentum, if they're going to be able to maintain it. That takes money. You have to keep putting money into GAP. Uh, you have to put money into R&D. You have to uh, spend money on uh, people like uh, Oberon. You have to spend money on marketing. This is not uh, this is not something this industry is used to, as I said before. Um, so let's see let's see how they do. Um, shifting to the companies involved really quickly, John, um, tell us a little bit about American Seafoods. They've been on the the block for a while. Uh, they told you I think earlier this year or mid year. I can't remember. The year's coming to an end, and it's all running together. Um, but uh, but they mentioned to you that uh, they are. They are on the block. They are looking for a seller. Brigal Partners, the private equity fund that owns part of them and the um, uh, other consortium of owners are, are looking to um, to uh, change the ownership structure there. So what do we know about that and how do you think that uh, sale, whoever ends up getting it, will change uh, companies on the production side? Pacific, um, Frank Dulcich's company, he's a 
board member on American uh, and a consortium of other Pollock producers. Uh, these two were, you know, talked about as possible purchasers uh, or investors in American um, since it is uh, up on the block. But nothing's materialized just yet. Um, you know, sources tell us that the price is a little high right now that Americans asking and, uh, you know, they can do so because Pollock is in pretty good shape from a market point of view at the moment. But, um, I don't know. I mean, it can only be so high before, you know, people say that, that it's too high and that seems to be where we are at the moment. But, um, you know, they uh, American has talked about wanting to wrap this up pretty quickly and get it done. So, you know, wouldn't surprise me to see this, um, you know, in the in the near future, some some sort of deal with somebody um, in the near future. Yeah, if I remember initially, they had talked about finishing it up in the in the fall, um, which obviously didn't happen. Um, and so it, we're going to spill into the new year unless something happens in the next. 17 days, which, you know, a lot of people like to close things at the end of the year, so maybe it will happen. Um, but, but yeah, I think that'll be a, I think for, for American, at least for the people that work there, uh, and at least operationally for the company to get this behind them would be really good. Um, it's, it's got great vessels. Um, it's a company that's historically done very, very well, um, for, for, all of these years, even when it was under Norwegian ownership, I mean, it's really consistently done uh, pretty well um, as as an uh, an operating company. Now, some of the management of it, some of the financial management of it, as we know, has has not always been uh, not always been great. But it is a, it is a real jewel. Uh, the consortium would have challenges dividing up the the uh, the quota. That's not such a simple thing. Um, and certainly in this climate of the U.S. Department of Justice seeming to be a hammer looking for nails, uh, as we know, they gave a lot of scrutiny to the Blue North uh, Clipper um, Bristol Bay Native Corporation deal. Uh, they just nailed uh, former Bumblebee CEO Christopher uh, Leschewski for, uh, for price fixing. So that's always, you know, that's always a, a hurdle, I think, and always a, a potential stumbling block when uh, when you get to acquisition, um, you get to uh, potential acquisitions in a fishery that is so consolidated in terms of the numbers of uh, of companies. So, so we shall see. Uh, I think we'll leave it there, folks. Um, there's always going to be more Pollock news to talk about, but uh, but for now, I think that catches everybody up. Just a reminder, so the uh, Global Seafood Markets Conference is coming up in January, uh, the uh, NFI conference. On the sidelines of that, we are going to have our uh, seafood leadership forum. We'll be looking at uh, women in seafood and millennials and diversity and, uh, and how to bring more new blood into the seafood industry, which is, yeah, uh, consistently cited as um, is one of the major uh, major problems. So we're looking forward to hosting that. We're going to have a great lineup of speakers. Um, don't forget to uh, to attend if you're going to be at the NFI event. Also, we have a new industry report out. It's not Pollock related, but it's on Middle East aquaculture. 
really, really lucky uh, reporter Demi Corbin, who is from Lebanon and has uh, feet on the ground experience of uh, of the region. She uh, did a lot of work to put together um, a report that's really like no other um, in terms of how it uh, how it gives a, an overview of the Middle Eastern aquaculture sector in particular. So take a look for that. That is John. That's out now, I think, or it rolls out Monday, correct? It rolls out Monday, yep. Thanks, everyone, and we'll speak to you next time.